0: Today, more than ever, I feel like I resonate with what the apostles speak often and write often in their letters, things such as John wrote in the book of Second John, where he says, I have much to write to you. I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete it's so good to see faces in this room again and not just be looking straight at the camera. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 84, better is one day in the house of the Lord than thousands elsewhere. It's so hard to believe that it's been two months, over two months, since we've gathered together in this room. What a strange time. It feels like a blur in some ways and like the longest two months in others. But it sure kind of brings to surface some of the feelings. I I resonate more and more with probably how God's people felt after they crossed the Red Sea and found themselves wandering in the wilderness and after a few days are grumbling at their leader saying, come on, Moses, what did you do, bring us out here to die? It was better It was better before. I resonate with that grumbling. But that grumbling and that time in the wilderness, you know how long it lasted? Not two months. Forty years. Can you imagine? Or God's people, when they were exiled in Babylon, in Babylonian captivity, the difficulties that they faced during that time. But Babylonian captivity didn't last for two months. You know how long it lasted? Seventy years. I think we can handle two months of disruption. You know, after that exile in Babylonian captivity, after 70 years, God's people did go back to Jerusalem. And when they got back to Jerusalem, they were allowed to start rebuilding their city, which had been destroyed 70 years before. Their, their, their temple, their, their house of worship had been destroyed and so they're, they're allowed to start rebuilding their temple. There's this story in Ezra chapter 3, a short little story about uh, after the temple is rebuilt and the people start coming back and they see it with their own eyes, people start rejoicing. They start rejoicing that the temple is here. But then the story goes on that it also says that there are some people, they're the old people who had seen the former temple 70 years before, and it says that they start weeping because they knew what things were like before. And Ezra records for us that the noises were so loud of the people rejoicing, but they were equaled with the noise of those weeping, and you couldn't distinguish the sound of the two. Maybe that's how we feel as we step foot into this place today. It feels familiar, but it feels maybe a bit strange. It might not look the way that you want it to look. It may not feel totally the way that you want it to feel. But how good it is to be in the house of the Lord together with brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking Him and His Word and His forgiveness for us. In the last two months, I've been preaching primarily about this living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a living hope regardless of what happens in this world. Jesus is still alive and his promise to come again and make all things new is always true. This is the thing for Christians that changes our perspective. This is the thing that unites us with a greater story and a greater narrative than the one that we see with our eyes on a daily basis. There is a story that we hold on to in the resurrection of Jesus that is a story of purpose, a story of hope, a story of meaning, a story of peace, a story of life because it's the story of Jesus and His story is our story. His life is our life. His hope is our hope. His resurrection is our resurrection. But I would imagine over the course of these last two months that your heart and mind If you're anything like me or most people in this world has probably gone all over the place in turbulent motions, wavering back and forth and back and forth from from fear to peace, from frustration to calm, from sorrow to joy, from bitterness to reconciliation, In all of those things, what God has been working in you is to bring you back to His love, to bring you back to His life, to bring you back to His hope that He offers you, to bring you back to this greater narrative that Jesus is alive and because He is alive, you are as well. I know that for some of you, This time has been incredibly difficult. Some of you have lost jobs, lost income. Some of you haven't been able to be at the gravesides of those that died during this time. It goes on and on, the tragedies. Yet also, some of you have told me that this has been a welcomed reset for you and your families. I've heard that from a number of people who have said this this forced time of quiet has reoriented us to the purpose that we have been created for in this world, that we were running frantic, yeah, trusting in God, but not keeping our eyes fixed on him. And this has forced us to come back to him and quiet down as individuals and as a family and to focus on that gift of daily bread that God gives every single day. I pray that God has been at work in your life in these kinds of ways. And I pray that God has been bringing this story of living hope into your life, but not only your life, because over these last two months and even today, you have the opportunity to speak and live as people of hope in this world that is in darkness and despair and seeming by all worldly standards to be falling apart. This is the time for the Christian church to shine, dear people of God, for you have a living hope. And it is our calling to live as witnesses in this world of that living hope. When times of crisis come, the Christian church has the chance to shine. Because oddly enough, when things are good, for some reason people don't seem to care all that much about a loving and sovereign God. And I know that every one of us are subject to that as well. It's when everything is stripped away and all the things that we cling to for hope, when those fall apart that we're forced to ask some bigger questions about life, and purpose, and meaning. And so I pray that you've stepped into those opportunities as God has given them to you, as you've talked to people who are living in fear and worry. I pray that you've stepped into those conversations and spoken about peace and hope in Jesus. That's what it means to live as a witness, to live as a witness. You have seen Jesus you have. You've heard from Jesus. You have. You've received from Jesus. You have. And now you have a calling, a commission, to give a testimony about what you've seen and heard and received. See, so this is exactly what Jesus commissioned His disciples in Acts chapter 1. Today we heard the second half of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, as Peter is preaching. But if we go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was still on the earth, he spoke his final words to his disciples, and he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Those were his last words. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. If he were here today, he would have said to you, You will be my witnesses in Houghton and in the state of Michigan and throughout the United States and to the ends of the earth. That is the message and the geographic circles that Jesus is giving to them. You are witnesses. You are witnesses. We've seen the power of eyewitness testimony. You've seen it play out time and time again. Especially as we've seen on the news and social media reports over the last couple of weeks, you've seen the power of videotaped photographic evidence, eyewitness testimony that is I would say, impossible to deny. When you see a man being killed, it is hard to deny that that is actually happening. You've seen the power of videotaped eyewitness testimony. It can turn a world upside down. You have evidence. First-hand eyewitness evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You do. You have it. It's right in front of you. Do you not know it? It's right here. It's called the Bible. Right in front of you. This This is an account of eyewitness testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole thing is about eyewitness testimony. And some people, I don't think it's any of you sitting in this room, but perhaps watching us, some would say, well, they were just making it all up. It's just nice storytelling. That's fine if you want to say that, but if that's what you say, you've got some explaining to do. You've got some explaining to do because you're going to have to ask some hard questions, such as, why would the authors make up that story, that Jesus rose from the dead? Why would they? I mean, I've heard of people lying on the witness stand. <laughs> people perjure themselves. They do. I know it happens. But why do people lie on the witness stand or perjure themselves? They usually do it mostly out of selfish reasons to protect themselves or sometimes perhaps to protect the people that they're trying to protect, like the defendant in the case, right? But here's the deal with the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They have no reason to make up this story. Jesus doesn't need any protecting. He's already gone. He's not on the earth anymore. They don't need to make this story up. They don't need to keep the lie. And and frankly, it would be better for them if they gave up the lie because continuing to talk about the resurrection threatened their lives. (laughs) Well, some people would say, well, they're doing it to protect one another because somebody told the story and and this guy's got to protect that guy. You're talking about decades between them writing down their eyewitness testimonies over a variety of different locations. They don't have the capacity to protect one another. So somebody might say, well, they're mentally deranged then, that they're just holding on to some fictional idea that they think that they received. So you're going to tell me that now there's multiple people with this deranged idea who have been scattered and are all on their own and they're holding to the lie even to the point of death? That's a lot of explaining to do. Some of you may not know, but out of the 12 apostles, history tells us that 11 of them were actually martyred, that means killed, for continuing to speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this. In the Greek language, the word witness, when we talk about being a witness, this is how you say it in the Greek language. Martyria. You see the very first part of that word? Martyr. You know that English word? It means to die for something that you believe in? So in the Greek language, to be a witness actually means that you're holding on to what you've seen and proclaiming that even to the point of death. Even to the point of death. The apostles certainly lived up to Jesus' commission. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. What about you? Are you wholly sold out on the idea of Jesus and his resurrection hope for you? Do you believe wholeheartedly in the eyewitness testimony that's been recorded for you? Do you... When you see videotaped evidence of something, that image is burned into your eyes, is it not? And into your mind? That's what this is supposed to do. The the eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ should be so etched in your mind that you cannot shake it. That that hope of a better day, that that promise of Jesus' return is the thing that you see through. That is the lens by which you look at this world. Will you defend Jesus Christ and His hope and hold on to it even to the point of losing everything? That's what it means to be a witness. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means more than simply to know about Jesus. It means more than simply to believe in Jesus, but it means to follow Jesus to the very end. In discipleship language, sometimes we like to talk about holistic discipleship holistically being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what is a holistic disciple of Jesus? We like to use uh, the four H's, four H words to talk about what it means to be a holistic disciple. And when I say four H's, I'm not talking about the, the kids' agriculture program. However, the three out of the four H's are the same, all right? The four H's of holistic discipleship are this. Head, heart, hands, and habits. Head, heart, hands, and habits. I have a t shirt uh, from my friend David Kim uh, with Glocal Mission. Some of you have met him, and I I hope you have a chance to meet him again in the next couple of months. But I have, this, I have this shirt that has a graphic on it. This is a picture of my T-shirt. There's a picture of a head, and it says head. A picture of a heart, it says heart. A picture of a hand, it says hands. A picture of a foot, it says habits. I was wearing this T-shirt recently, and we were eating lunch together as a family, and my daughter Hazel, uh, she knows how to read now. And I didn't know she was looking at my shirt. And she said to me, Dad, what's that last word? what's that last word, above the foot? And I said, well, that's the word habits." She said, why doesn't it say foot? <laughs> I said, well, I took the opportunity, and so I said this. I said, well, this shirt reminds me and other people what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I said, uh, the head reminds us that we know things about Jesus in our heads, right? We, we know something, we, we know Jesus loves us. We know things about the Bible. We know he died for us, that he rose for us. But we don't just know stuff. That's not what it means to be a disciple. But we move to the heart. And the heart means that we actually believe it. Because it's in our heart that we, it actually affects us. And we believe this. So we, 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 we know that Jesus loves us. And we believe Jesus loves us. And that's why we love him in return. And I said, the hands remind us that that we don't just know about Jesus and don't just believe in Jesus, but we we share Jesus with other people. This is why we want to help other people and serve other people. And finally, I said the last word, habits, means that's things that you do without even thinking about it. And so it's a picture of a foot because wherever you go, you are always a disciple of Jesus, knowing about him, believing him, serving other people, helping other people. This is all at the lunch table. And then I paused and I thought to myself, man, I just went deep theology with an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And my six-year-old Max looked up and he said, oh, I get it. (laughs) I get it. There's something about having a childlike faith, isn't there? Jesus speaks of that. To know and trust him, to believe wholeheartedly in him, to follow after Him, to to have everything that we need given to us by this loving and gracious Father who's never left us, but He's always been with us, who, who came into this world bearing the marks of our sin, dying for us. He rose for us. He's coming back for us. Friends, you've seen it. You've heard it. You've received it. You are eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have a commission to testify about what you've seen and heard and received. Because this resurrection of Jesus is not just for you. That's for this world. Friends, you know this world is broken and hurting. You know it's in turmoil. You feel it. You sense it. You know people who are hurting. Please speak, live as somebody who truly believes that there is a hope for a better day because Jesus is alive. That's what it means to have a living hope. You are witnesses. Starting next week, on June 14th, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Some of you have been with us in this church for a while, and I had kind of forgotten, and if I forget, you've probably forgotten as well, but last summer, I preached the first 25 chapters of the book of Genesis. That's only halfway through the book of Genesis. So, we're going to open back up the book of Genesis this summer, and we're going to continue that story. So, come on back next week with, this, uh, with the, the, the idea that we'll, we're going to open back up the scriptures to the book of Genesis.